Hi, I'm Jimbo Merrill, Senior Market Advisor for Old Wise Ones. And today we have a special episode. It's called, Does Your Family Need a Living Trust? We have a special guest today, TJ. Hi, TJ. Hey, Jimbo. How you doing, bud? Oh, it's just a pleasure to be to be back with you. And oh, good. I'm in so I'm, many ways. I picked on TJ because he just had a baby. And well, that's I did, one of the. Yeah, my wife did. Well, no. You know, it's, I had something I think, to do with it, but you know, that's I think it's podcast. okay for for the, for men to take full full ownership in. You just had a baby. I certainly am had something to do with it. You did. <laughs> I think I think that's for sure. And you're going to have a little bit to do with it from this point forward. Yes, indeed. You might hear her on this podcast actually. Uh, that's okay. That's why we're doing it uh, from your house. Beautiful. Because we need you may, may need to leave really quickly. So you brought up the other day um, in a session we were just talking. And you said, "Do you do you need a trust?" And I go, "Well, that's a good idea. We should do a little show on that, and we can go through the process." So you ready? Absolutely. Let's let's do it. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to try to find your situation. So to determine how complex your estate plan really is. Yes. Okay. So it's you and your wife and you've got a brand new child. Mm-hmm. Any children from previous marriages? Nope. For either one of you. Okay. Nope. Own or rent on your primary resident? We rent. Residence. Okay. Any ownership of property elsewhere or other than that? Apartments nope. or that kind of property? Nope. Real property. Okay. You may or may not have an IRA account or a 401k account or an investment account. You will have a bank account. So you probably have all of those accounts and we'll go over all of those at, at some point. Tell me why you brought the question up to start with. I've been on, on your podcast before. I knew about probate. And okay. so what I want to do is avoid probate. Right. That's my main right. concern. Okay. In the Good. state of California, um, you, maybe you can tell me a little bit about what probate actually is. Yeah, we'll go through a little bit of that because I want everybody to understand why we're why you do estate plan documents. And we'll just get right into that. So the state already has laws on the books. So if somebody dies, you know, unexpectedly and doesn't have an estate plan or anything, they got to figure out what to do with the money. So they already have laws in place. So for example, you and your wife, if you died without anything and you had some money and all this, this is what would happen with your money. The state would, would come in. The money would not go to Sadie. It would go to your living parents. Now, the question is, would it be divided up between two sets of parents or, or what? But that, So there is laws already in place. So what you want to do with your estate plan is direct your documents to where you want the money to go. The easiest way to know about all this stuff is you want to control your assets when you're alive. And then what an estate plan does is puts the control positions in place after you're not here anymore. So that's what we're all about is trying to control. So that's what the state laws are about. And when you do an estate plan, it supersedes any of the state laws. So those only go into place if there is not no estate plan in place, no will, no trust, none of that. So let's just get into the documents themselves and then that'll probably help flesh it all out. So there's a trust, there's a a declaration of trust, there's a will, there is a healthcare directive or some people call it a living will and there's power of attorney for asset management. Those are typically the, the core documents in an estate plan. So let's start with the first one, a will. Everybody pretty much knows, do you know what a will is? What do you think a will does? Yeah, I, upon my death, so-and-so gets so-and-so. Yeah, okay, that's a simplified version. And in that will, you would say, and um, if I have a child, so-and-so would be named my guardian. That is in that will That goes in the will too. 
that that's in the will. That's okay. where it sits. It's in a living will. So the guardianship. It's part. It's actually part of the healthcare directive. Healthcare directive, living will. That's where the guardianship sits. A will itself directs the estate as to who's going to be in control of the estate after death. That's called the executor. So your wife's name is Laura, right? Yes. Okay, so you and Laura are doing your estate plan to start with. So you guys are the actual control people. You can write your estate plan and you can change your estate plan as long as you're alive. You're the owners of it. So we're the executors? No, you're the owners of the trust. Okay. You're going to name an executor. That's okay. a different position. Got it. Only the owners of the trust can change the documents. These are all revocable documents until one party dies. Got it. And I'll go aside straight just for a second to have you understand this. If you had a child from a previous marriage and Laura had a child from a previous marriage and you have a new child together, you would then say, okay, I, we, want, we want all of our money to be divided amongst three children. Okay, fast forward 20 years from now, you're having an affair and then you get hit by a car on the way home and you're gone. And now Laura says, wow, he was having an affair. I want to give all the money. I just want to give it to my kid and my previous kid because he's been a, a bad boy. Yeah. She can't do that. Once you die, your side of the trust becomes irrevocable. Got it. And that's to protect you. Once you decide this is where your money, you want your money to go, even if you die, it still is going to go there. Same thing in reverse. Now, that's what a trust does in a more complex, mixed family. Thank God you don't have that, so it's a much simpler issue. You don't need to deal with it. You just have one child, and both of you want to give all your money, I'm assuming, yeah. to your one child. Yeah, but if we want to have another child, do we just put that in there, our children, even though there's not one that yes, you Yes, we write it so it's so it's plural and it's Big. issue. It's yeah. not names and it's not anything you have to do. So you can go on and have another child. You can have two child. You can have three more children. You don't even have to change your trust. It probably makes sense to change it, but you wouldn't need to if it's written right the first time. Yeah. So a lot of this is about language. It's it's all about language. Okay. It's all about language and it's all about the language in the state of California. The language in state of New York, the language in state of Nevada are different. So your state plan documents are all directed by the state that your residents that you are residents of. Got it. That's an important point to note. Okay, so let's talk about the will a little bit. So the executor of the will is the person who is basically pulling the levers and saying, I'm in charge. So what happens in a, in a death, the executor needs to send out a notice to all the creditors of you and your wife saying, okay, guys, anybody owed any money? Got to send me the money. I'm the guy that's in charge of the money now. Send me the bill. Send me whatever we owe you. We'll settle up. So they become the the kind of the control point, point of it. It's an important position to assign. It's to somebody that you trust with money. Mm-hmm. Now, I say that carefully because when we get to healthcare, the healthcare directive agent is not necessarily in charge of the money. They would be somebody that would be more comfortable with medical and and that kind of type of decisions. Absolutely. So when you and Laura are deciding on who your executor could be, oftentimes it's an older brother, an older sister, it's a parent when you guys are young like this. Now, if you if you have a trust, you, there's a position there called the successor trustee. Oftentimes it's the same person as the executor in the will because okay. that also is the same type of decision-making. It's about money. For example, I recently changed my trust documents because my brother was my executor and my brother was my, uh, or Jan and my uh, trustee. If we 
passed and he would be in charge of everything. My kids now are 34 and 32 and they're capable. It's oftentimes about this time where people change their early assignments to their kids because then they can see their kids are capable, they know what's going on and, and yeah, this would be better for healthcare, that would be better for this or whatever. You're not gonna name your Sadie as your key positions at this point because right. a, little, so, a little young at this point. At this point, she's the beneficiary, right? Is that the, the word? She is. She's the sole okay. beneficiary of okay. the trust. If you and your wife want to give her all the money. So, for example, who and you, who would, off the top of your head, would you and your wife pick to be executor or co-trust? Uh, her sister. Her sister. Okay. Yeah. Right. And her name is? Sarah. Sarah. Okay. So, Sarah's going to be in charge when, when all hell breaks loose. Now, yeah. This doesn't happen when one party dies and the other party's still alive. Nothing happens. Right. It just, you're, you're in charge of the money. If she passes away, you're still in charge of the money. If you pass right. away, she's in charge of the money. The trust documents only go into place, go, go really into an effect when both of you are gone. Now, let's move on from the will to healthcare directives. This is, uh, or living wills. People call them both the same name. Essentially does the same thing. It controls your health care decisions while you're alive. Mm. You and Laura are in a bad auto accident and you can't talk and you're in the hospital. You've named somebody in this healthcare directive to come down to the hospital to talk to the medical staff and make key decisions about your healthcare for you. Now, oftentimes what you should have in your wallet once you do a healthcare directive or a living will is a little emergency card. It says healthcare directive, name of the person, phone number of the person, basic uh prescriptions that you're taking, blood type, basic information. Because the doctors in an emergency room are trained to go through your pockets to find out if you have a healthcare directive on you. So it's really a good thing to do is put a little card in your wallet. So your healthcare directive would be somebody that, that might need to come down to the hospital quickly. So your trustee or your executor could be out of state even. I wouldn't recommend your healthcare directive person to be out of state because they need to okay. be coming quicker. So yeah. who would be who would come to mind for you for healthcare directive for you? Probably Sarah, same. Because it's her sister, you know, in law or her, my sister in law. She's trusted. She's in the family. And, you know, she would be basically Sadie's mother, you know, moving forward. Yeah. Would she be the guardian too? Yeah. If you named a guardian, you'd be naming her the guardian. She just had her first child, so they're gonna be like cousins and yeah instant. okay so it's an automatic you know it's it, it's a, it's an easy fit to say yeah. this is the person to guardianship now that guardianship is an interesting issue because a lot of people say well geez that's a big task i don't know if i really want to ask somebody to do that and the way i respond to that is if sarah asked you to do that for her what would your your uh, laura's answer be would be Absolutely. of course we would that takes the pressure off asking the other direction yeah right it's kind of yeah. like moving it's pretty convenient. If you're willing to help them move, then you can ask them to help you move, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. On a yeah. much bigger level. But that guardianship's really important because let's just say you guys are in a bad accident and yeah. you're in a hospital and then you don't get out of the hospital and where does the kid go? Both sets of parents will show up. Everybody will show up. They'll all try to take the kid home. Well, the hospitals, uh, you know, they're mandatory report. And so they're going to call, you know, child protective services. So they're going to get involved. They may allow one of the parents to take it home temporarily, take the baby home temporarily, but they may take custody until it's decided. So you don't want any of that to ever happen. So you name this stuff ahead of time so it doesn't happen. It's just, yeah. this is the guardian. This is where, where, and the key thing is in your financial power of attorney, 
you're going to want to name her also in that because if she's the guardian, you really it's hard to manage a kid if you don't have any money. So if you forget to put her as the is the agent for financial uh, power of attorney, she has no money. She's got the kid, but no money. How would you handle like giving, let's say, giving her a stipend versus like her just taking over the account? You know what I'm saying? Like, how would you handle that? Because well, she she's kinda... going to need money to to. Well, take she's going to need Sadie, money, but Sadie's going to need money. Uh, you know yeah left right. over exactly so when you name when sarah is your uh, she's your agent for uh, financial power of attorney so if something happens to you temporarily tj you're you're assigning uh, laura that position so she's mm -hmm. still in charge of the money if something happens to her she names you as the primary agent for that but both of you would name a secondary agent if both of you can't do it and then that's where sarah would come in so if she's got the power of attorney for asset management she's in control of all of the assets you have to trust because it's very difficult you probably could write it in a way to have it in a annuity and, and money comes out on a regular basis to her and you could get hyper controlling about that and put it in your assets so if you're worried at all about her getting a big lump sum of money you can design it by buying insurance products annuity products and stuff to, that would get her a stream of money instead but i would probably question the assignment of the person in the role if you want to go to that level to, you gotta trust. to control it. That's the point. Right. Gotcha. And if you're gotcha. not here any anymore anyway, uh, you, where you, should your money go other than to your daughter? Now, and obviously you're trusting her to not, you know, have her buy a motorcycle when she's 12. Right. <laughs> you know? That would be wild to see a 12-year-old on a motorcycle. Kind of see it all the time now with these middle, middle schoolers on these electric bikes. It's like... Wait a minute. I, th I didn't think they could do that. Anyway. No helmet. No, no helmet. No, nothing. Yeah. So in it's a typical being... estate plan document, you're going to have a trust, a will. You're going to have a trust for both of you. You're going to have a will for each of you. You're going to have a health care director for each of you. And you're going to have a, a financial uh, power of attorney for each of you. So that's how many documents need to be done. Okay. What was that? Seven? You guys are in a situation where you do not need a trust yet. You don't have a mixed family. You don't have real property that's going to go through probate. You, there's a simplified probate for up to, I believe it's 175000 So if your state's worth less than 175000 it skips probate, skips it completely. It's a simplified probate. It goes right through. So you really don't need the trust at this point. But you're saying there's a, a trigger at 175 k that moves into that? Or real property. So the minute you okay. buy a house. Sure. You're gonna have to, you're gonna need to run out and get a trust done. And I'm trying to save you money because the bottom line is, if you go to an attorney now, nowadays you're probably talking twenty five hundred to thirty five hundred for these documents. So if you you know put my financial management hat on, if you've got twenty five hundred dollars now and you invest it, and then spend a few hundred dollars for your estate plan, that present value of that twenty five hundred dollars is a lot of money. And if you don't need to spend it right now, don't. So you don't really need a trust. You need a will. And it's not a pour over will, it's a last will and testament. Now the difference is when you have a trust, the will is worded a little differently. It's called a pour over, P-O-U-R, pour over. It pours the assets over from the will to the trust. If you don't have that, you don't need to pour it over. So you're gonna have a will for each of you and, and then you have a healthcare directive and you've already named your healthcare directive people. You've already named your guardianship. Then you go to your asset management for power of attorney for asset management. You've already named that person. We've already named all the people 
that need to be named in your estate plan. All the person. So how do you get these done and where do you get them done? So you can go to an estate planning attorney and, and pay the, they're going to charge you about the same amount of money, uh, 2500 3000 even without a trust. So if I'm going to go and spend 2500 for a, a pour over will anyway, I may as well just get the trust and just, it's it's already there. You should. So let's talk about where you can get these documents done. You can re- do them yourself, which I don't recommend. That's called a holographic will. You can sit down with a pen and write down whatever you want in your handwriting, sign it, have somebody witness it, and that's just as legal as having a lawyer do it. I wouldn't recommend that. So the next level up is like a legal Zoom or a rocket law or what I would call paralegal services out there that do them cheaper. They're supervised by an attorney, and the documents are good because they're designed for the state statutes in California, sure. but you, you don't have to spend the kind of money. So on a legal Zoom basis, a trust and everything, the whole package for two people is like 349 bucks. If you don't do a trust and you do a living will package, it's 249. So what's the downside there? Well, the downside is if it, if it was, I wouldn't suggest it to be a, if it's a complex estate because that's where the attorney and the accountant and the client really get into the planning aspects of it during the writing of these documents. For example, in your example earlier, when you were talking about, let's say we had a mixed family and they didn't trust the person who's getting the money. So you have to build an annuity or two to give them an income stream. That's where those kind of more serious, complex estates, multiple commercial properties managed by different people. You're going to want to get a lawyer involved. So the discussion's involved and the CPA's involved and you don't miss anything. It's dependent upon how sophisticated or how complex the estate is. With a single home or a rental unit and a few investment accounts, it's really simple. And I would suggest to go to a legal Zoom for you guys. Yeah and get this done. Whether you go ahead and do the trust, I mean, it's only another hundred bucks. It's not, yeah. you know, present value of hundred bucks. It's only that, right? Absolutely. So, you know, I'd probably do the whole whole package. And then you just print it out and you just have it in your, in your Well, you, you basically, the way it works is they, they uh, you do a questionnaire online and then they draft the documents and get oh. them to you. Oh, and then okay. you have to execute the documents. So you'll have to go down to a notary. A notary is going to have to be involved with the um, power of attorney for asset management. The other documents, the healthcare or living will, are witness documents. They're not notarized. Oh, the other point I wanted to bring up is beneficiary designations. Everybody has them. You may have some life insurance and you've named mm-hmm. a beneficiary in the life insurance. So if do you have a life insurance policy now? I do. And whose name is a beneficiary of it? I guess it's it's Laura. It's my wife. You did you buy it before the baby? Yeah. So you bought it for Laura mainly. So yeah, she's the exactly. beneficiary of it. Okay. Yes. So you said you reached out to your agent, your your uh, life insurance. They said a baby can't be added as a beneficiary to life insurance plan. No, you can't. The yeah. beneficiary has to be an adult. So, has to be a human. Yeah. Has to be an adult. So it's going to be Laura. Yeah. And then when she gets old enough, I don't know that she'd ever put her on as the beneficiary, the, gotcha. the daughter. Because you're always going to want your the more of the adults to, you know, because when you get a chunk of money, let's say it's a four or $500,000 lump sum of money. That's a lot of money. You got to make sure that when somebody gets it, they don't go, wee, oh, I got a bunch of money. Look at me. I'm going to go nuts now. That's where I would go with those. And the other thing that I wanted to bring up for more of the audience than anybody else, you do not have to change any of your life insurance document, beneficiary designations, or your 
IRA or 401k has has beneficiary designation to them. You may have an annuity somewhere that has a benefit. Anything with a death benefit will have a beneficiary part of it. That will avoid probate. So the only thing probate's here to do is to make sure that the money is kosher by the time it gets to the the next party. When you say you got a life insurance policy and you're going to give the money to Laura if you die, that's fine with them. They don't care. The money goes directly to her. It is not a taxable income. So life insurance proceeds are not taxable. And the other question that comes up a lot is how much money, how much life insurance should I have? You want to take care of your wife and child for the rest of their lives, but you're limited fund-wise as to how much you could buy as far as a death benefit. You can't go out and buy a $500 million death benefit to start with. My kind of rule of thumb is take 5% of that. So if it's a $400,000 policy, you can take $20,000 out of that every year. And if it's invested at normal market rates, that'll never go away. So it'll always throw off that 5%. So if $20,000 income to, to, to Laura from you is what you want, then 400,000 is probably enough. So that's how I would look at it. Got it. But again, it's up to you and your wife to decide how much money is enough. And we told, we laughed about it the other day in, in the office, which is, you, you don't want a full target on your back either. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you got a 500, $500 million life insurance policy, man. Now I say something wrong to my wife. It's <laughs> that's, the, that's the $5 wrench attack right there. <laughs> what are the questions you have about estate plans? Um, that's pretty, pretty clear. I do have a, a very simple estate. I think it's really interesting to, to bypass the lawyer and just go with a sort of a, I would, I would definitely at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you, you know, 20 years from now and the kid's going to college and you've got another kid and you've got all these assets laying around and all this more complex situation. Yeah. You know, if it's not right at that point, it's getting a little too complex. You can always restate it and do it, do it then. So I guess uh, this is a more broad question. The trust itself, uh, all of your assets belong to the trust. Is that how? Yes. It works? Yes. The trust, it, the trust is like a corporation. It's an, it's a legal entity. And once you develop the trust, you put all your accounts into the trust. Mm-hmm. So you take the, you, if your house, if, if you own a house and you've, and it's in joint tenants, uh, a title of joint tenants, uh, Jim and Jan, that, trust that house needs to be put in the name of the trust otherwise it's going to go through probate yeah because that's what probate's for here's a house jim and jan are dead oh my god probate's going to have to deal with it to get it to go to somebody else so you take it out of your joint tenants registration and you quit claim it to the trust so jim and jan gifts our house to Jim and Jan's trust. Now the trust owns the house. You just happen to be riding along controlling it while you're alive. The controller of the trust. The yeah. End, yeah, and again, you're, as the grantor or owner of the trust, you can change it. You and Laura can sit down and change it anytime you want. Yeah. But once one party passes away with a trust, it gets frozen. So a change would mean another meeting with a lawyer or to update it. Or- I would, I wouldn't worry about it, you know, for five or 10 years. And then as it gets more complex, you could take a peek at it at that point. Got it. I well, can hear swinging. Yeah. Crying in the background. <laughs> She's uh and it has nothing. There is no crying uh, statutes in here. There's no sections about crying or keep, keeping crying from happening or any of that. <laughs> no, if we could come up with something like that, we'd, we could make some money. Well, thanks, Jimbo. I, pr- I appreciate it. it uh, I, I learned a lot about my my estate and how to, to 
to trust it. There you go. How to trust it. That's a good, that's a good close. <laughs> Thanks again, TJ, for right. joining us. You can search Old Wise Ones on YouTube where you can subscribe for free. You can also find us on social media and all your favorite podcast platforms. 